0: Hello and welcome back to the Entrepreneurial Clinician Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Muirhead, and today I have with me Anastasia. Now, Anastasia, I have known for a few years, and I have been watching her from the sidelines, and I am incredibly impressed with the way she presents herself. She is one of those people that is a silent achiever, but the impact that she is having on this world is going to be life-changing, not just for one person, but for nations. But I'm going to get her to share her vision with us soon. So she is the CEO and chief troublemaker Managing Director and Founder of Pure Insights. She brings to the team her vast knowledge of counselling, coaching and training. Anastasia has a degree in applied social science with a major in counselling, diplomas in communication, childcare, education and a certificate in training and assessment. So I think she's well qualified to be talking to us today. She's also an approved clinical supervisor and practitioner of many professional associations, including Counselors, Psychotherapists Association of New South Wales. Actually, that's a really, 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 risky really, so we might just put in the book. <laughs> Anastasia specializes in workplace mental health, family dynamics and individual barriers towards growth and success. She is incredibly passionate about closing the gaps in service delivery and driven to support her team in developing and implementing tailored and high quality of servicing across the board two things that have impressed me so much about Anastasia is nothing is a problem. If anyone turns up at her door she will find a way to help them and she has cultivated this culture of how do we serve amongst her team and I admire her greatly for that. So thank you for coming and being a part of this Anastasia. Thank you for inviting and having me. (laughs) So I'm really keen to understand what it was that made you go, I want to start my own business. How did that come
1: about? (laughs) Um, It wasn't a conscious decision, actually, uh, Joe. Initially, it was something that I fell into uh, 16 years ago and I found through passion of connection and uh, working with really vulnerable clients in really um, disadvantaged demographics and seeing impact through genuine care and authenticity in what can happen in the, the therapeutic process and in the room. I just... It just lit me up and so before I knew it I was going from a different location a different location 16 years ago um, doing some really high level critical work and got to a crossroads one day and thought I got the fifth call and you need a lot of um, energy for that level mm. of work as well it's the most complex of the complex. They're not um, self-referred either. They're told to attend these appointments. Um, So I made a decision that particular day as to do I say no because five days of this work would be unethical. You can't give 200% to every single person walking through that door. Um, Or if I say yes, that means I need to bring a secondary person on and how do I do that with the absolute... Um, belief and trust that that person's going to care as much as I did and and make sure the highest level of quality care for every single client that we were blessed to be connected with and work with um, was at the same level. So I would say that's probably where it really started in the sense of entrepreneurial journey mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> because then it was conscious de- decisions from there about if I do this decision, what does that then mean for the work we were doing, for the people we were connecting with, with the impact we were having. And so then it just organically evolved on its own um, Mm -hmm. through the years from there. So we went from site by site to um, region by region to state by state, and um, eventually we were servicing nationally and now internationally in that space. Um, and probably about uh, six years ago, I had a similar experience of falling into um, the work we do now in the corporate space, and that is um, through employee assistant programs, put a lot of on site um, support and intervention. And the passion around that is making sure that everybody's um, 100,000 waking hours that we spend at work on average are actually spent um, connected and safe and happy. Um, but again, it wasn't an initial plan, I, it was something that we went in we went through authenticity and genuine care for what we were doing and very quickly saw the impact and the evolution of that, that process and support that we were implementing into workplaces and the impact of people initially walking in so disconnected and disgruntled and stressed and sad to all of a sudden walking in bubbling and talking to the next person in their team and actually setting goals and plans for not just their personal world but also within their work world. And when I look at that, and I think if that's how somebody's now transitioned to coming in, they're actually going home happier, they're waking up happier, and that impacts every single connection and every single relationship, not just their work time. It is everything, holistically. So you said
0: in the beginning that you started off working with really what we would term fairly difficult people. So these are people who have been out of work for a long period of time, often periods of homelessness psychiatric conditions or undiagnosed addiction problems who don't fit into the normal pathways of work
1: absolutely so that's kind of where you cut your teeth Yes. So, and when we talk about you know people that haven't been in employment for a long time, you also have people that have never been in employment, wow. and you've got you know two, three, four, five generations of unemployment, and then you've got a system that says you need to go get a job, and if you don't, you have your money cut. So they're they're coming and operating from a space of fear every day. But when you have somebody telling them, I need you need to go get a job, they're looking at you like you're the alien. What are you talking about? My parents never went to work. My grandparents never went to work. My norm is I wake up, I go to link, I get my money and I have my world and that's safe. Even though for anybody else on the outside looking in, you'd look at that and think that's not healthy, that's not safe and it's quite dysfunctional. For them in their world, it, it is what's normal. So you have to treat that with a really delicate Um, capacity and how you engage genuinely has to come from such a true space of of really caring and wanting to connect without any form of judgment. Um, So it's not um, people identifying they've got a relationship concern or a few barriers to get to work Mm and need a resume and a bit of motivational boost. You're having to get to the core of years and years and sometimes generational implications. Um, And as you quite rightly mentioned, drug and alcohol is, you know, huge... Um, ex-offender just post-release mm-hmm. you've got you got the drug and alcohol you've got you know those types of um, barriers that present high level of trauma or abuse and that's what we call in that space of the work we do the norm yes and your diagnosis yes the norm the norm um so you're having to filter through that make a connection and build trust through Lots of layers of of people experiencing um, mistrust and potential damage through the system as well, and then being told you're another person they need to come and see, not by choice. So every single touch point that we have in place where where I say we're blessed to have the connection with these clients is from the second they step into the provider's offices where we physically go out and, and connect with them eye contact, you know, offering a shake of a hand, inviting them into the room, and every little touch point's about handing them their power back, Mm. because Mm. a lot of the time they don't have that in that process. So the two things that excite me about this conversation
0: is that you started off just yourself, yes, but then you've started off with the commitment to quality, and so many clinicians, regardless of discipline, are terrified of growing a business and losing quality. So my
1: question for you now is some, some data and some facts. How many of you are there in your teams now? Um, with the UK and here internally, we're at probably 45 um, internally within the team, but we also have a international network as well of associates. But in saying that, they are uh, vetted and onboarded just like our internal staff and treated uh, the same. It's just that the work is more ad hoc and that's probably 150 associates. 150 people. External. External. Yes. Wow. Yes. Okay.
0: So, people listening to this interview might be thinking of a multi clinician team, and they might think twelve, maybe twenty, but you know, you're 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 moving well into three digits. But for me, I find that mind blowing. Mm. So, what I find mind blowing about it is that you've also built a culture where the values that you treat your clients who come in and consume your services is the way you treat your staff members. Yes. Now, how did that come about for you?
1: Um, I think having a very strong connection and a as to purpose and, our, and my vision and why, mm. um, and being absolutely unapologetic for that on every single layer, um, and also being very um, real. So, when we put advertisements out and when we do uh, invite people in for an interview, um, it's even to the point of actually trying to talk that person out. Out of the role to wow. show how much they actually genuinely care, and we talk from a values-based um, connection, not just great. We can tick a box because you've got the qualification, and you go tick, tick, tick. You've got your association membership, and you've got your insurances. That well, anyone can go get yes. that. That's got half a brain. Um, we've I've had so many experiences of um, from disciplinary backgrounds. So I'm a very strong advocate for allied health across the board, not just one discipline. Mm. And the reason for that is I've met some amazing, amazing clinicians across all spectrums and some horrific ones mm. across all spectrums. Um, so where you have a lot of uh, bias out in the industry, and it's, it's not through uh, conscious judgment, I think there's a lot of... Um, pre-education that people have adopted that we can only use psychologists because psychologists are up the ranks so you know they can do they only know better and can only do better opposed to other disciplines and it's not always the case but sometimes you know we've come up across that a lot through um, our journey and my journey and I love that because I get to challenge it and (laughs) then prove well no it's not and there's some amazing amazing clinicians and amazing impact that can be done through all, all uh, areas. So I've had a number of people come in over the years for interviews um, for, let's just say, the employment services role, which mm-hmm. is the, the hardest of the hardest clientele that we talked about, but the ones that need the absolute, absolute most genuineness of care and authenticity because if you don't connect, you don't get any progress because they're not trusting. If you don't have that trust, you're wasting their time, you're wasting yours and potentially doing more damage. So that for me is the key. I need to see that they genuinely care and they're truly authentic about why they're there, why they became a clinician, and even what their journey map looks like. And making sure that aligns with our value set, our vision, and our expectation on quality of what we expect out in the field so if i don't feel like that that's there um then i i would cease the interview and i've had people come through with phds with <laughs> masters in all disciplines and if i don't feel that i can connect with you there is no way our clientele and it's my job to ensure that i vet that really really well because if i'm sending you out to give you exposure to these clients i need to be 300 sure That you genuinely care as much as what I care and you're going to go and do some good work not potentially do more damage because I would not be able to sleep at night and with that one of my first questions um, people always ask me what types of questions I ask in those interviews and one of the first ones is honestly are you comfortable with the word fuck Great question. But Especially given the client group you're going to be exactly working with. Exactly right. Yeah. So if I have somebody sit there and not batter an eyelid, there's cause to continue that conversation, right? Yeah. But if, if somebody's really super uncomfortable, and there's no right or wrong because it's not the right space for everybody either, um, but for this particular world and the reality of the cohort of the clients, it's really understanding the cohort that you work with, Um, you've got to be comfortable in that space Mm. otherwise it won't work Mm. and you won't get the connection so I'll be setting the clinician up to fail and potentially setting the client up for more damage which I won't do.
0: Wow I love the passion it's coming through so and you've got me convinced I'm like wow where were you when I needed a job but that's okay I was (laughs) off making sure I was going to become awesome at what I did. So you've you've grown this enterprise from you to like hundreds of people in your organization. So could you please define for me or for us what entrepreneurialism or being an entrepreneur means to you? Uh,
1: Wow. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) An entrepreneur in general or an entrepreneur in the clinical space? I'd love it in the clinical space. Right. It would be very cool. Okay. So the first thing I'd respond to that is um, anybody, well, even taking away the entrepreneurs thing at the Mm -hmm. minute. Just to be a clinician, one of my biggest gripes in the industry is people go out, they educate themselves, and they go out and want to help people, but they haven't helped themselves first. Um, So I think the biggest first point is that people actually go and do their own work. Because unless you've been through your stuff, how can you really connect at the core of somebody sitting in your space needing you to go on a journey with them if you haven't been prepared to do it yourself. Mm. You haven't been prepared to strip the layers and be vulnerable and work through all of those fears and limitations and all of that. You're not coming in at an equal level. So for me, I am really strong around really hoping the industry shifts to, um, that being a mandatory requirement. Mm. At some point, that would be my, my biggest win in our world. But I guess linking that to the entrepreneurial space Um, I guess having a high level of awareness about yourself um, and being super clear about your vision and your values and having the ability to bring people on the journey. So connecting the right people in in with your mission and your values um, and having them all in alignment as to where you're going, why you're going there and why that's super important. And it's not just, oh, because, you know, we have an organisation now and um, we need to meet x amount of expectation whatever you set that to be but it's about the bigger impact and the ripple effect of the blessed position we're all in as clinicians Mm. to really connect and impact and, and shift lives and it's it's one life initially with that individual person you're connecting with but then it's all the connections that that person then has and all the layers of that hand so ultimately you could potentially be shifting generations.
0: Yes, and that which is just huge. It is huge, and that's what makes me so excited is that that's our legacy that it we leave. It absolutely is.
1: Yeah. Um I think the other thing with that as well is being able to think bigger picture as an entrepreneurial clinician and be able to identify opportunities yeah. as they pop up. And I think as clinicians, and it's been a big learning journey for me that I'm still evolving in, is separating the clinician, (laughs) (laughs) leaving the clinician in the clinical room or in the therapeutic space and stepping into owning your role as an entrepreneur or as a director or as a CEO, however you see yourself. Actually giving yourself permission to say, I'm an amazing, the most awesome clinician that I can possibly be and I know I do amazing work. But for me to get out to do more or bigger reach or whatever your vision is, you need to have the ability to detach, have the awareness, go, great, clinicians over there for now. Mm -hmm. I'm a CEO right now Mm -hmm. and for me to operate the best that I can as a CEO – Or an entrepreneur, whatever that looks like, requires me to have skills in other areas to be able to keep progressing forward and to ensure that what I'm doing is sustainable, to do it at the level I choose to do it Mm -hmm. and wherever it is that I want to take it. And that's been the biggest learning for me. Um, I had for a very, very long time and even till very recently, a very difficult relationship with the concept of money.
0: Ah. Please share
1: some more.
0: <laughs> my guess is you're not alone. No,
1: <laughs> no. I don't think I I am. I've had lots of conversations with other clinicians over the years as well. Um, but the concept around especially the employment services side where we're talking really disadvantaged yeah. communities, the, the the driver was never oh, we can get X amount of sites, which is going to create X amount of revenue. I didn't even put my rates up in that space for about nine years mm-hmm. because I was just so scared that every time the government contract changed that um, we had to tweak and pivot the way that we provided the program and um, how we communicate and language it to link to their lingo. Yes. But my only driver was being able to get through them as gatekeepers so we could get to the clients that really needed the support. So so scared that if I raised my rates that they wouldn't use us anymore. And if they didn't use us, that meant those clients didn't get the genuine care and support that they needed because they weren't going to be getting it from anywhere else. Wow. So that was one concept. But the other concept was me reconciling for myself that um, I could charge money. <laughs> For helping people. (laughs) But what you realise very quickly is unless you do that and you hold your value and you know your value, you own that, you can't progress. And if you can't progress, you can't sustain and retain with security around what you're already doing, let alone if you choose to want to do more to have more reach and more impact. You can't do it. So... It's taken me 16 years. But that's, that's actually so comforting because
0: we live in a day and age where we get all these messages about entrepreneurism in this century. And it's all about what I want, when I want it, how I want it now. Mm. And I, I think for most health professionals, I, I haven't yet, I have met one yet who went, I went to university, did study to become a health professional so I could make a million gazillion dollars. Yes, I've never heard that what people say is I want to help people but now I need to make sure I can take care of my family now I need to make sure I can put my kids through university now I need to make sure my retirement is secure yes so it's always a secondary well for me it feels like it's often a secondary thing we kind of wake up one day and go hmm I have some other responsibilities here yes. and it takes money to meet those. Absolutely. And you're, right, you're so right. I'm in that situation right now as if I don't invest in my business heavily, it can't grow. No. So exactly. the people don't get the help and yep. similar
1: to you, they're not going to get it from anyone else because the way we help doesn't exist. No. <laughs> and so you have that as an implication and through an experience also is you will have some organizations that may be um, headed up by a clinician or maybe not. Hmm. There's lots of smart business people with high level of business acumen out there that have high level uh, health services and um, consulting services that charge mass loads of money, but they don't have the ethics and the values behind it. Yeah. So I see it as if I'm not doing it and I know that what we do comes from the right space and has the right impact, then other people are going to come and do it without that genuine care and potentially damage people. So that's the hat that I hold now. Um, But also it's that responsibility to the people you're taking along on the journey as well. So if I'm going to say to people, come on board, sharing our vision – come in the direction that we're heading, if I don't have the capability to have the security behind that, the business and the structure that we've got in place, then I'm at risk of putting those people in an unsafe position in employment to say, oh, we weren't strong enough, so therefore we've lost all of our work, therefore you need to go find another job. Mm. And it's not just about them coming in and having a job with you, it's all the implications in their lives as well. Mm. So, as an entrepreneur, um, you're responsible for that. I, that's how I, I see it. So it's so multi-layered. Absolutely. And it sounds like you've really thought through
0: the opportunities that being a clinician and an entrepreneur bring. You've you've thought very carefully around the potential responsibility and risk, but I can hear you talking about, we have the opportunity to serve more people. We have the opportunity to uh, lead by example, treat people with respect and dignity, not as Numbers, yes. not as a, a bank account. Uh, treat people as though they're attached to a family system or a relationship pool, or treat give people the skills they need so that they can go out and make more of a change. That comes through really strong. Have I have I got that?
1: clear? Yes. yes. Yeah,
0: that's. So that, to me, sounds like the opportunity that being an entrepreneurial clinician has given you. Would, yes. Would that, yeah. Yes, yeah, very much so. That's cool. And that's my, what excites me about this age that we're in, is that the positioning that we have as clinicians to help people change is unlike anything that I can find
1: in history. Uh, no, it's, it's definitely evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as clinicians, we have to be thinking a lot more and a lot of clinicians just will hate this word but strategically because we yeah. do to stay um alive yes <laughs> and relevant um and agile so i mean just if we look at the way technology is going too i mean that's not a space i was ever trained no. in <laughs> right there with <laughs> what you You're talking about <laughs> but um <laughs> unfortunately and fortunately because i'm sure there'll be a lot of positives in it as well it is evolving and we mm. can choose to be resistant towards it. it's not what my core fundamentals were in my training nor in s- most of my belief system i'm so strong in still wanting that face-to-face connection because i know the power in it however if the options are shifting more and that within your generations coming through that they don't want this they you know eye contact not even a thing anymore in some cases yes um they're used to a screen so if they're going to opt to reach out to get some help and their only area of comfort to do that as a couple of first steps is that or even all steps is that then we have to meet those needs otherwise we're going to lose the potential to support that generation needing support so i think we need to stretch our brains as clinicians and Mm. as entrepreneurs and think we are here now in five years where's our industry going to be Mm. and try and hit that and reverse engineer it mm. because tech isn't going away it's evolving and it's evolving rapidly artificial intelligence yeah. is just through the richter we don't even know 10 percent of what the reality is of what's already available mm. but you haven't been educated on um tech services software systems social media everything is evolving mm. That was definitely not in my remit when I decided to get into this space.
0: <laughs> no. And no. I bet you've never had thought that you would be learning so much. I mean, we're at a conference together this weekend where their yes. focus is on using social media. Yes. And I, I mean, for me, it's like I'm having to learn how to use social media that was never something i didn't do social media one-on-one no no (laughs) i did psychology (laughs) social psychology rehabilitation counseling but there was never anything there about technology was what we did for people who needed adaptive equipment yes Yes. There we go. There we go. (laughs) Hasn't that evolved? (laughs) Well, yes. Now we've got the people who are visually impaired creating the technology that we use so that we can talk to our machinery now so nobody has to type anymore. Yes.
1: Anywho, we digress. Look at that. Opportunities. (laughs) Yes, but there is lots of opportunities if we open our eyes and our mind to it. Because I I know for myself, I went through a very strong period of being quite resistant. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's not how I was taught that's not how it's meant to be done <laughs> it doesn't kind of align but you have to stretch
0: you do cool. need to stretch so do you think then that that's one of the limitations or dangers that we have is that we get very set in the way we were taught hugely yeah 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 absolutely and do you do you find that now with the the people that you're employing to become a part of your vision and your team are you looking for some of that agility willingness to be curious about the future
1: absolutely yeah absolutely and we have a real strong culture in um, a culture of conversation but a culture of invitation so any thoughts and ideas is just natural part of our day-to-day engagement so you know we have staff members that have come on board for one part of um the services that we provide and then they'll come one day and say oh, i had an idea about this it's like wow that's a really cool yeah. idea Let's just map that out a little bit and then that thing becomes a reality of something that gets um, outlined and implemented and that person gets to champion it. Mm -hmm. And it's not what they were initially um, enrolled into the business for. However, that's an area that they had innovation around and an an interest in and a strength area in and there we go. We've been able to bring it to life and convert it into something tangible. They They are then championing. Through the business
0: wow so, so it takes all the pressure well not all the pressure <laughs> but it actually <laughs> allows us as the owners the leaders the visionaries because I know for me I feel, I've often at times felt like I had to have all the answers yes and it's only in the last 12 months I've actually engaged my team to go can you help me solve this problem and they are so much better at it
1: than yes. I was okay. am <laughs> yes, I think if we can look internally sometimes for mm-hmm. exactly that, Joe, like the answers to some of the challenges that we get faced with every day. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, and they they and they they do have them a lot of the time, mm-hmm. and they actually become more engaged because they feel more connected yes. and more empowered by being able to support you as well as the organization in an area that it needed the support.
0: Fantastic.
1: So thinking about new graduates now, if
0: you can. So yeah. we have a lot of new graduates who like to graduate and go, that's it, I'm gonna be in private practice and I'm gonna do this for myself and it's my thing that I'm gonna do now. What? Right. <laughs> I really want your honest answer about this. this, Is why I'm asking it this way. What advice would you like to give them?
1: Oh, wow. Um, take, well, <laughs> it's, it's a mixed one. It depends mm. on, again, where you've, the graduates have come from, the type of study they've had, and the level of actual hands-on practical engagement and experience because mm. it's all well and good to go and do four years of theory books. Um, it's a very different reality when you're in the room with somebody and they're needing practical, intuitive logical connection, care um, and a partner to go through their journey step-by-step. So, And the reason I say that is I am aware that there are courses that are just full theory based for four years and you're still qualified enough to come out and launch into private practice. There's other courses out there that have a really beautiful balance of theory yet you need to prove the theory you've learned in practice with, you know, lots of practical experience throughout the course. So I'd just be curious as a clinician coming out as to what I what tools in my toolkit I have to yep. use, how much actual hands on experience, how much exposure I've had, and what does success look to me look like to me. So if I've literally graduated, I'm I'm about to just go into my own thing. What is the why behind that? Yep and what does success look like and I guess a real honest honest question around is this the right step so early on in the career or should there be a bit more exposure first and I don't know whether there's a right or wrong answer to that mm-hmm. um, but I, that's my genuine response and that's through lots of experience and observation throughout the years as well mm-hmm. um, I had a lot of, me personally, had a lot of different experience in other roles and in life for when I then fell into doing one-on-one work, Um, but also my studies were very hands-on as well as theory-based, so I'd already worked through a lot of stuff. I've had um, some clinicians come out of uni after a four-year or five-year degree even fully qualified to go into private practice and come in for an interview with me for our employment services work. And I've asked a simple basic question on how would you establish rapport? And they couldn't answer me.
0: Yeah, I've had that problem too. Which
1: just is highly concerning. Mm. I, one question I ask that sticks with me forever is, how would you deal with a resistant, um, borderlining, verbally aggressive client potentially? Because again, that's mm. the reality of our world and the response I was given was, I would ask them to um, feel what the chair felt like and count the windows on the wall. And so my response to that was, well, they would have picked up the chair and launched it at you (laughs) by the time you finish that. Um, So when you ask me that question, Joe, I do have an internal reaction that comes up because of those experiences that I've had over the years. But again, there would be some amazing clinicians that are really highly self-aware that have probably gone and done a bit of their own work Mm. um, and had a bit of exposure that would be ready. Mm. So it's not a a one size fits all response. I think it comes to the individual fantastic I was so hoping that was going to be your answer oh good <laughs> <laughs> I, I am
0: the anti-seven-step system to private practice building I think yep. it's all about who you are yes who you serve yes and how do we take that message around so yes. I'm really keen for to hear those answers so that I've picked up some incredible gems from you today if it's okay to reflect back to you absolutely <laughs> I think it's you're an incredible testament to the fact that that you can build a successful large because let's face it your business is now large large business based on your values and your values of quality care and caring for people who do not get good care yes so for anyone listening who has that passion please follow Anastasia's example it can be done yes but you've done that by making sure that the way you treat your the people who consume your services with as much respect and dignity as the way you treat your staff. Absolutely. So those two things matter to you. Hugely. Your people matter. Yes. So I've worked in organisations where clients mattered because they're attached to a dollar sign, but the people inside the business, they just didn't matter because mm. unless they were producing, they, they had no value. And that hurts. That it does. breaks my heart. It does. Yeah. And, and, and there's lots of wounded clinicians yeah. out there that yeah. have had that experience um so I think you know knowing that you can do both
1: yeah by staying true to your values you have to be in alignment like how can you go out say I'm going to go out there and serve people and that's why we exist that's why this organization exists but not do that with your own people you gotta live and breathe what you do right that to me is common sense
0: (laughs) excellent news (laughs) Implement common sense. Just do what you said you're going to do. <laughs> but I think too, not being afraid to tackle your own
1: stuff. No, please so, do tackle your own stuff. And can I just also add to please. that, Joe? Yes. Like, and as I said, suggested initially, you're doing these studies for a reason, mm. or to become qualified is for a reason, or to take this journey in these spaces for a reason you need to look at you Mm. as part of it Mm. but also in saying that it doesn't just stop there life keeps going and just because we've gone and done all of the amazing learning that we've done and the education we've done doesn't make us immune to life and doesn't make us any different to the next person in the line so it's really important to know that, that life keeps going, you keep evolving as a person. So your need to go out and access support whenever you need it is critical. And to have your own internal measure of when that is, is, is so important to then go, right, I'm feeling up now. I know what, where I'm at right now and I actually need to go and connect with whoever that person yeah. is. And again, to be in alignment, to say to somebody, come, you need some support, let me help you. If you're Mm. not prepared to do that yourself, then there's a bit of incongruence going on. But if you want to be the best clinician you can be Mm. day in and day out and the best person you can be and the best partner and all of the stuff that comes with it, go and do your work and it might be once a year it might be three times a year it might not be for three years depending on what life throws at you but we are not immune we still get the life crap no matter what
0: wow i'm i'm gonna leave not ask the rest of my questions now because i think that is just too powerful just make sure that we do our own work and that's a speech pathologist a physiotherapist an osteopath you, you don't have to you have to do the work if you're going to be working with people yes because people will trigger us yes <laughs> they will yes always trigger us yes so how can people get in touch with you how how is it best to find you Anastasia oh wow
1: to see the screaming crazy woman <laughs> <laughs> um well, I online. So we have I have my um, LinkedIn profile. Um, I have a public figure page on Facebook under Anastasia Masuris. Um Our websites through Pure Insights or Work Happy. That's pretty much the most... Fantastic. I like every... it. Keep it simple for us. And yeah. I will make sure that
0: those links are in the show notes. Great. And Anastasia would love to connect with anybody who's interested in learning more because she is a beautiful soul. And <laughs> she will do her best to help anybody who asks a good question. So thank you so much for sharing this with me
1: today. Thank you so much for your time too,
0: Hello, it's Joe here. Thanks for listening to this interview today. I trust you're enjoying them. I trust you're learning from these interviews. It was such a privilege for me to be able to conduct them. And I have learned so much um, as I've prepared for creating the book, The Entrepreneurial Clinician. If you're looking for more information or how to purchase a copy of the book, The Entrepreneurial Clinician, head on over to joemuirhead.com forward slash book.